My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. Hello, my friends and listeners. This is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, coming to you for another episode of Euripides, Eumenides, a theater history podcast. Oh, my word. My friends and listeners, here we are. Episode 50. That's a milestone. That's a big one. I have worked a lot of hours on this show, and I am so glad for all of you that have joined us on this ride, and I look forward to getting more and more of you. Uh, and in the last couple shows, I've shouted out a, a few new countries who have seemingly joined us. And um, uh, hello to my listeners in Turkey. That's pretty cool. Hello. Um, apparently, I'm climbing the charts in Slovenia, so... Feel free to let me know if you want me to come on out. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, oh, in interest of time and in interest of uh, a subject matter I got to cover today, I, 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 man, I poured uh, the world of theater history to find a grand topic for f- episode number 50. But joining me today for this epic adventure is my guest from episode 23. We talked about uh, the failed musical Lone Star Love and the erratic behavior of one Mr. Randy Quaid. And she came back to tell us four horror stories in 16 minutes. Go back and listen to those. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my good old friend, Seattle actor and theater artist, Christine Shaw. Hello, Christine. Hello, Mr. Odom. Thank you for having me back. Oh, I'm my so God. excited. Oh, my God. Christine, uh, one, I just I, I want to thank you for taking the ride of Lone Star Love with me because I went back and listened to that episode the other day. That and, was oh my Nutter God. Butters. That, that was fun. That was a good time. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, I still haven't followed up on that, but I can tell you, I know that Randy Quaid is still out there and being just as crazy as fuck as ever. So... Uh, I guess, you know, a true classic never dies. We should send it to his, like, publicist or his manager or something. <gasps> oh, like, my yeah. God. Dude. I don't know. I'm just talking out loud. I'm just fantasizing. <laughs> Carry on. This is your show. You're, you're, you're suggesting that he might actually still have a publicist. Uh... <laughs> well, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> Christine, how you been? It's been a while since I've seen you. 
Oh, I've been I've been good. I've been getting surgery. I've been working my butt off. I've oh. been working out. I've been painting. I've been dating many people. I'm having oh, a good I time. Love I love it. I love it. I love yeah. it. Um, and you know, like I said, in interest of time and subject matter that we have to cover today, uh, I I thought of you for this, Christine, because I just loved our interactions on our last time we had a full episode. And you did say, if you ever needed a mouthy old bitch with a gimp vocal cord, let me know. Of course I said that. Well, here I am. Welcome. Well, I couldn't think of anybody better because I just love watching your jaw hit the floor so many times last time. I just need to see it again. So... Christine, I'm just going to go right into it here. Uh, if you're ready yeah. to go, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. In regular fashion, I usually ask my guests a question to start the episode. I don't know if you've given this much thought, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Christine, what is your favorite celebrity couple? Living or dead? Yeah, any, yeah. Can I say dead people? Sure, yeah. Oh, you know what? This is just me in this moment for Bogey and Bacall. Oh, oh, I love that. I just, I don't know. I had a classic, just it just came up on me. I don't know. I had Mexican for dinner, so who knows? It may be that. <laughs> the spiciness has ignited the fire in my heart. No, they're just they're they're like good scotch. Bogey and Bacall are like good scotch, and they both yeah. have voices that it's like an experience, like drinking them in. Oh my Slumber. god! Yeah, yeah. I I I I had the pleasure of showing my boys misery uh, a, a year or so ago, yeah. and you know Lauren Bacall makes a special appearance in that in her like seventies, and it's just. Oh, yeah, she's she's uh, Paul Sheldon's agent, and and oh God, she's just as gorgeous and glamorous and classy, and still yeah. has that amazing mid-Atlantic accent. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but totally. but tell me why? What what is it about Bogey and Bacall that really speaks to you? What 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 is the celebrity couple? I don't know. They're they they're both Metro. Even though Metro wasn't even Metro wasn't even a thing back then, they're both yeah okay. They both ride the male female line. Um, mm, I like okay. their interactions together. I think that their voices and their energy together says sex and danger, and I like both of those things. Well, and you know the thing that, like, when you start talking about celebrity couples, you think okay. I just say the word and you've got at least a five-year shelf life, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Totally. But Bogan McCall, loyal till death, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, uh, yeah. Well, unfortunately we're not going to be talking about a celebrity couple that was loyal till death. Uh-oh. We're going to be talking about one that, Oh my God, Christine, when I first started reading about this, this is going to be a story that people kind of know. And I have to preface this to everybody out there who probably knows a lot more than I do about this topic. I'm going to gloss over a lot. I'm going to kind of hit the highlights and I'm only going to focus on the relationship mainly. But, oh boy, this is going to be one. I'm so that scared. 
I don't know where it's going to end up, Christine. This is something. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Here we go. We are going to go back. Bogan and Bacall days. Here we go. 1955 was to be a time of reinvention for fashion icon, film star, sex symbol, and arguably the most famous person in the world, Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) Marilyn Monroe moved to New York City, relocating from Los Angeles. On the surface, Monroe stated that this was so she could create her own motion picture production company and dedicate herself more to studying the craft of acting. However, underneath the surface is always what people were really looking for with Marilyn Monroe. Weird. Wow. Wow, dude. I had no idea she went to New York. Oh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And uh, we're going to be name dropping a lot here tonight. So just so you know, and and some heroes may be torn down. Um, Uh But by 1955, Marilyn had already had several reputations. One, she was difficult to work with. Okay, like flighty, unprepared, never on time, hard on herself. The last bit of that was probably one of the biggest influencers on how Marilyn conducted herself in the world. Her level of insecurity in herself was immeasurable. Like, and I, I mean, you think about that. You think about this this person who is this icon. You think sexy, busty, blonde, and one of the first things you come up with is Marilyn Monroe, right? Yeah. Yeah, And for somebody to be that admired all over the world, I mean, yes, I understand that there might be some insecurity in that, but at the same time, like you are that. Yeah. You would think that you would be able to internalize some of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She was often known to have watched herself in the mirror for hours, even leaving important functions to run to the powder room. Most speculate that it wasn't really a narcissism. It was the fact that from incredibly humble beginnings and a tumultuous childhood, okay, here, I'm going to hit the highlights. Again, she had risen from being just little Norma Jean Mortensen, a child who was the result of an extramarital affair, who most likely suffered sexual abuse in foster homes and orphanages. She was now Marilyn Monroe. And it was simultaneous disbelief, but also a crushing responsibility that in order to be accepted, she had to keep up being Marilyn Monroe. Exhausting. Right? Exhausting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so like, I, I, there were people who described her as, like, sitting in, the, sitting in front of a mirror, just staring at herself. And any, any like, little thing that she could find that was imperfect... Okay, we'll put a little dab of makeup there. We might oh. floof the hair a little bit. We might juggle the bosoms just a little bit so they fit right in the dress. Uh-huh. Just right. All the time. All the time. Oh, my God. Exhausting. This insecurity also led her to playing the Hollywood game of promiscuity that allowed her star to rise in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. I heard that's what everybody had to do. That's what they had to do. You had to get yep. anywhere. Your pants were open for business. Yep. Yep. Now, 
While she did have a handful of publicly known relationships, Marilyn also had sex with just about any director, producer, actor, lawyer, agent, etc., who could advance her position. It was just part of the game. I feel like I I I feel like there's a space to get a, a, an opinion here, but you know what? <laughs> I'm of two minds. I'm of two minds. Oh, we are so early on into this. I'm not even a page. Oh two. my god. Okay. Okay. Go. <laughs> All right. So at this point. For any of you who uh, like know the history of Marilyn Monroe, she didn't have quite the reputation for drug binging yet, but it was on its way. I mean, you can see that already, right, Christine? Like, yeah, 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 that yeah. that level of pressure—you got to take the edge off, right? Yeah, Ugh. of course. Ugh. Especially if you're a woman. Here, just shut up and take it. Take this, and you'll be fine. Oh, right. And go with this yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were pimped out. Oh man, yeah. And this this was such a uh, less subtle era. You didn't have Bill Cosby dropping pills into no. drinks to get girls to sleep with them. They just would yeah. because it that's how they could advance. Exactly. That's uh, what happened. Yep. Oh, and plus, she had a reputation as constantly playing the sex pot dumb blonde character in movies, and this wasn't exactly her fault. In 1955, when she left for New York City, check this out. I love this. She was still under contract to finish the last of an exclusive seven-picture deal with Fox Studios. But up to that point, Marilyn had obviously noticed that she was being sold as that aforementioned dumb blonde sex pot and was getting tired of it. But it was selling. That's such a (laughs) double-edged, that's just a statement on society and women and oh my God. Wow. I'm getting all fired over here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Okay, right. here we go. You, you, you might need some Xanax and uh, uh, margarita. <laughs> yeah, after here this. I go. <laughs> Vape pen is out. Um, in something of a devious twist, Fox had acquired the film adaptation rights to the very successful Broadway play, The Seven Year Itch. And knowing that Marilyn was asking to be taken more and more seriously as an actor, they could dangle the carrot of a well liked, air quotes, intellectual property in front of her to get her face on another poster. Ew. Have you ever seen Seven Year Itch, the movie? Long time ago. Long, long time ago. Uh, um, same. But God damn it, it was adorable. It features Monroe as the lusty neighbor of a married man whose family leaves the city to vacation for the summer while the man stays in the city to work. Okay? Yes. At the end of the play, like, there are several moments where he is like, ooh, this could happen with me and sexy neighbor. The wife and kids are out of town. Oh, boy. And at the end of the movie, he goes, this is really stupid. I'm living in fantasy world. I should just go see my family for the weekend. And he does. The play is different. Ooh, tell me about the play. In the play, he actually has a one night stand with her, wakes up and goes, oh, that was dumb. I should go see my wife and kids. Oh. End of play, curtain. Yay, you realized it. Oh, wait, but you slept with the, the with the hot blonde. So everybody's ruined. Life was ruined. Hey. No, I don't know. I don't know. Family wow. comedy. Bring I the did... kids. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that, though. The, the movie oh. and the play were different. I thought about staging that years ago because I loved the movie. And then I read the play yeah. and I went, what the fuck? Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, ah, psych, bye. 
We're done. Can we just do the movie? Oh, damn it. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, anyway, it's also the movie that's famous for the scene in which Marilyn's skirt flies up over her head as she stands on the grate above a subway. Okay. Iconic piece of film, right? But, I mean, it's all about the sexiest woman in the world uh, flashing her underwear, right? Now, she was also married to baseball legend Joe DiMaggio at the time. Yeah. Okay. DiMaggio was on set that day and had no idea what he'd be seeing. Shit. (laughs) Right? They they actually shot that scene alone on location in Manhattan. And even though they had closed the street for filming, some 20,000 people had gathered because they heard the buzz. Marilyn Monroe's down the street filming just to get a glimpse of the legs and underwear of the most famous woman in the world. I don't know how I feel about being a woman or an actor right now. I don't know. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Here's a little factoid for you. This is great. Okay. To create the shot, they had to position a huge industrial fan below the subway grate in the street, in the sidewalk. And a guy was down there underneath it to turn it on and off as needed, take after take. His coworkers are like, you suck, dude. You fucking suck. How did you get that gig? Oh, man. So he is literally just a few feet below the most famous crotch in the world. I hope she peed on him. I don't know. I'm just fantasizing. Carry on. Take after take after take. (laughs) Oh, we can't stop. I have to go. Just go. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Oh, hey, here's a cute little sidebar for DiMaggio here. That scene pretty much was the last nail in the coffin of their marriage. Pun intended, I'm sure. Wow, (laughs) You're not quite wrong. When they were done filming, when they were done filming, they went back to their hotel room where they fought for hours. When she returned to set a few days later, makeup had to be applied to her arms to cover the bruises. Yep. (laughs) That sucks. Nonetheless, most biographers say that no one loved Marilyn more than DiMaggio. She could feel it, too. She slept with him on both the night she served him the divorce papers and the day the divorce was finalized. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. That I can't even imagine right? doing that. Yeah. <gasps> she, she didn't want their love to end, but their relationship had to be over. Oh man. And and this is something this is something uh, it'll come up later. She treated sex with Marilyn Monroe as something of a commodity several times in her life. Yeah, well, girls adaptable. Yep. I mean, it's a sign It's a sign of gratitude. It was a sign of gratitude. You have treated yeah. me well. How about sex with the most famous woman in the world? Oh. It's so rough and empowering, and I don't know, and rough and ah, I know, right? This oh makes like, me want to growl. Weird. I I can't even tell you how many times re- researching this story, I would write to Andrea, the woman who walks beside me, and I go, "This yeah. woman fascinates and terrifies me." Exactly. Simultaneously. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's the last note about DiMaggio. <laughs> uh huh. A few weeks after the divorce finally was announced. 
probably driven by the fact that he'd caught his soon-to-be ex-wife in potentially adulterous situations before. He sat down to blow off some steam with his good pal, Frank Sinatra. Oh, that might not have gone well. I don't know. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Over steaks and many drinks one night, the two came up with a great plan. They bust into the apartment of the girlfriend whose apartment they thought Marilyn was using for her sex romps. So they hired a couple detectives and the four of them went to the apartment. They didn't just knock on the door. They busted it down. What? Mm-hmm. What? Oh, here's a quote. It gets better. It sounded like an explosion. What turned this crime of passion into, quotes, theater of the absurd was that the four men smashed into the wrong apartment. That of a 50-year-old oh, neighbor, Florence Cotts, who was fast asleep <laughs> in her bed and later described it as a night of terror. Oh, poor Flo. Poor Flo just wanted a good night's sleep, man. Mm -hmm. And two schlubs and DiMaggio and Sinatra end up in her hallway going, what was the bitch? Oh, fucking, ooh, that, that, ooh, fucking toxic masculinity, that 50s <laughs> toxic. Oh, well, That's I will say that is that toxic masculinity in the 50s in its more overt form. Yeah. Um, I don't know where we're going to go with toxic masculinity in this story, but I have a feeling we'll have some things to say about it. Okay. But Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. Now, regardless of this and the fact that Marilyn was not at the moment committing adultery, the story just increased the buzz about the love life of Marilyn Monroe, which just deepened public interest in all things Marilyn. Everything, yes. I mean, you know, I think the only thing we can compare it to recently is like Kim Kardashian, who, ugh. you know, uh, exactly. Ugh. But at the same time, we're all kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah, people keep caring. And and then there's that audio clip recently where it's like, why did you make that sex tape? She's like, because I wanted to and I was bored. Okay, see, I hadn't heard that response or I didn't know that happened because I don't really follow it. But <laughs> I say that's an okay answer. Yeah, exactly. Where you're like, uh, I have the interest of the public anyway. Hey, you want to see me yeah. have sex on tape and it's all secret and then you have to buy it. And I'll be really heartbroken for a little while. But at the same time, it improved my brand. Give me money. Dude, you know what? Hey, work. Hashtag work. <laughs> Now, all of this stuff with DiMaggio happened near the end of 1954, and to clear her head, Marilyn moved in with friend and business partner Milton Green and his wife Amy on their Connecticut estate. She had her own private cottage, so she was able to get a lot of time to herself just to heal and decide what the next stage of her life would be. Oh, my God. I forgot that I put this in here. This is so great. She became convinced that she needed more and more people to take her seriously as an actor and was looking for a lot of different ways to do that. And the Greens, Milton and Amy, were also big names in the entertainment industry. And while Marilyn was staying with them, they were visited by friend Tennessee Williams. Wow. Just 
stopped over at the house one day. Stopped over. Hi, I guess Marilyn is staying with y'all. Yeah, dude, wow. Tennessee Williams, who told Marilyn, quote, I'm finishing a new play called Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and I want you to play Maggie. Oh, wow. That happened. Wow. (laughs) That doesn't surprise me. I can totally see how that he would want that. And at the end of the day, I'm glad that Elizabeth Taylor did it. I had absolutely no idea. There was no audition, nothing. He just went, you're it. And I can absolutely see it. Yeah. So for weeks, for weeks thereafter, she talked about nothing but improving herself and her acting ability and just how much she wanted to play Maggie. Unfortunately, her reputation about being unable to be on time for anything was quite well earned. And Christine, you and I have done enough theater that if you're not there at call time, you're not going on. No. So, mainly looking out for his friend and the stability of her mental health, Milton Green was able to convince Marilyn to stay away from participating in live theater. Oh. Oh, wow. That's so sad. It it is. It it is. Like, you think about what could have been with that. Like, yeah, we got Elizabeth Taylor in the movie, but Jesus. It might have gave her, it might have saved her. Who knows? But, but dude, no, there was so much. Mm-hmm. She had so much stacked against her. The drugs was was Ooh. only a part of it, you know. Oh man, we haven't even we haven't even oh, scraped shit. the iceberg here, Christine. All right. Okay. So coming back to where we started in 1955, Marilyn had relocated to New York to start Marilyn Monroe Productions, her own production company, film production, with this guy Milton Green but also to escape all the bad flavors of what was going to be kind of an ugly divorce and to reinvent herself as someone who was more than just the icon of sexuality that Marilyn Monroe had become. She still wanted to be that, but wanted to be more. I mean... What is... Yeah, what's more? That's interesting. What's more than Marilyn Monroe? That just makes me think, what would that well, continuum be? I mean, but I mean, at that time, Marilyn Monroe was like, I mean, she was just a sex pot. You know, everybody knew her. Everybody had seen her. Um, oh, in researching the story, I did find out that her iconic pictures in the first issue of Playboy were printed without her consent. Oh, what year was that? What do you know? I think 49. I think it was 49. Oh my God, 49, really? Mm-hmm. Fuck. And of course they were without her consent. Yeah. Wow. It was when she it was when she was much younger and still had the red hair. Like yeah, I think everybody yeah. sees those pictures. Um and, and they're gorgeous, but uh yeah, Hefner printed them and it all it did was add to her stardom. So of course she went, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. So to be more at that time is like, I think of it kind of in the terms of how Lady Gaga's career has gone. Like she started out as kind of a weird songstress, right? Yes. Then you're that's like, true. okay, that's true. 
then she's doing music videos with Beyonce and God damn it. She's looking better than Beyonce. And now she's playing a <laughs> fucking Super Bowl, And now she's nominated yeah. for an Oscar. And now she's, and now she, gonna... and, she and Elton were besties. And then yeah. like, she's in a movie and then she's earning Academy Award nominations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I think of. I'm like, she was, she's not the same level of like sexual icon that Marilyn Monroe was, but she no. realized where she was and went, Oh, I can go further. Yeah, yeah. And she had the toughness to do it, too, so. The different cultures, the different film cultures and time cultures, it's just fascinating. Anyway. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. I can't wait to see your reaction to this. <laughs> Very early on in her time in New York City, in order to improve her acting, Marilyn had joined the famous acting school, The Actors Studio. Really? Where she began taking private acting lessons from Lee Strasberg himself. <sighs> More on that later, though. Oh, okay. On the business side of things, the Actor Studios, a nonprofit organization that had also seen the potential in having somebody like Marilyn Monroe in its roster. <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes, when one of their students had a film coming out, the studio would host a private screening, a private ticketed screening with celebrity mm -hmm. ushers at the live event in front of about 300 audience members. The studio asked Marilyn to be an usher for their screening of actor studio member James Dean's new film, East of Eden. Wow. Wow. Tickets for these events in the 40s and 50s usually range from 50 to $150. So only the top crust could afford them. Wow. Yeah. But as soon as Marilyn's name became associated with the event, tickets were being scalped for $300 or more. Wow. It was at the after party of this event that Marilyn ran into an old friend, world-renowned, award-winning playwright, Arthur Miller. Miller. Mm-hmm. While Marilyn was completely bombarded by fans and adorers, Miller was able to speak to her briefly and later that evening was able to get her phone number from Lee Strasberg's wife, Paula. Sneaky little bitch. Now, hold on. Miller and Monroe had actually known each other for quite some time. What? Uh-huh. Where'd they meet? They had first met in 1951 when Miller had accompanied director, producer, and good friend Elia Kazan to Hollywood oh. to scout talent. Wow. <laughs> During their stint there over the next few weeks, Kazan began to court Marilyn Monroe as she had just gotten out of a relationship with talent agent Johnny Hyde on account of his fatal heart attack. Oh, shit. Oh, bye. Oh, no. <laughs> but Kazan was a voracious womanizer and loved to acquire very famous notches on his bedpost. Ew. And... Like I said earlier, Marilyn allowed him to, probably out yeah. of a desire to expand her resume with more directors, especially in theater yeah. and those with uh, excellent artistic reputations. Yeah. But God damn it. Um, yeah. It was at an after party following an event where Miller first met Monroe in 1951. Miller was nearing 40 and was feeling that his happy homestead with two kids and what he felt was something of a boring, sexless life was needing a change. Uh oh. Uh-huh. So sitting down and having a conversation <laughs> with the sexiest woman on the planet was encouraging. Uh, <laughs> it's a hard life. I know, it's rough. Uh, yeah. Mon Monroe, on the other hand, 
was not only immediately attracted to Miller's looks, even though he's far from any Hollywood heartthrob, I think of him more as like a younger Larry David. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you no, can see. he but... has a certain je ne sais quoi. Yes, okay, there we go. She was more immediately attracted to the fact that he was more or less outright stated that he really didn't want to have sex with her right away. Cool. That is hot, dude. Oh, wow. <laughs> Restraints? Are you kidding? Restraints? Mm, tell me more. That's fucking fabulous, man. Now I really want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was his intellect and austerity in the literary world. I mean, he'd already won a Pulitzer Prize at this point. Death yeah. of a Salesman yeah. and View uh, from the Bridge were in the past for him. Wow. And as wow. well as his political stance as a leftist that really attracted her. Big thinker, political opinions. Oh my God. Hot daddy. Yeah. This was something of the father figure and the intellectual lover that she was looking for all rolled into one. Yeah. Oi. I know. Talk about your daddy issues. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm familiar. Wait, who are we talking about? Oh, Marilyn. Yes, Marilyn, daddy issues. Completely. Now, this isn't a confessional. I'm not bringing you here to you know, have any kind of um, intervention or anything. Yeah. And just to make it clear, they did not hook up that night. Wow. Restraint yeah, one. Yay. Yeah. Soon after, Miller and Kazan returned to New York City, but Miller and Monroe kept in constant contact, with Miller continuing to fuel Marilyn's intellectual attraction for him by sending her suggestions of a more academic level. See? Basically, yes. read the great books, and she went, wow, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I think I'll try it. <laughs> Reading oh, and not just hard. reading, but reading the good books. The good books, yes. I'll see. Yeah, never that's... thought of it. Never crossed her mind. I mean, oh, yeah. Boy. Wow. Okay, so that was 1951. They kept in contact, little letters back and forth, faxes, telegrams, etc. Yeah. So back back to 1955, and Miller seeing her after this East of Eden thing, and getting her phone number, Box Studios was finally able to reinterest Marilyn in finishing up her contract with them when they acquired the film adaptation rights to the very popular play, Bus Stop. I don't... I should know Bus Stop. You know, I think we have a watch list after this. Like, there are several yeah, movies okay. that I just need to see now because I'm like, yeah. I feel ashamed. Like, my entire Marilyn knowledge comes from Some Like It Hot, which is one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was what year was Bus Stop? 50? Bus Stop is 55. 55. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got it. Now, who else is in it? Do you know? Uh, there was a basically unknown kind of <clears throat> uh, guy that they got. I want to say his name is Lee Murray. I can't remember. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. 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 Cool. And, cool. And this is where Marilyn could really show off the skills she had learned under Lee Strasberg's tutelage, okay? Now, I have been fairly opinionated on the method on this show a few times, and I don't know how you feel about it, but here we go. So as a sidebar, you have to hear about the very weird relationship between Marilyn Monroe and Lee Strasberg. As you may have already guessed, and we have said it out loud, 
Maryland had some significant daddy issues, and Strasburg scratched just another itch for the woebegone star. After her private lessons at the studio, she didn't actually sit in the classroom for a while. Marilyn would often return to Strasburg's home and basically become part of the family. Strasburg was happily married with two kids, and Marilyn would often stay at the apartment on nights that she was battling loneliness when she often fought that with alcohol and barbiturates. Lee's daughter, Susan Strasburg, recalls a night where her brother gave up his bed and slept on the couch so Marilyn could get a decent night's sleep in his bed. The kid's bed. The boy's bed. Marilyn Monroe slept in my teenage boy's bed. Wow. Wow. That night, Marilyn also crawled out of the bedroom in a drug-induced haze and on hands and knees made it to Lee's bedroom door where she moaned out, Lee, Lee, until he came to the door and took her back to bed. It's suggested that she did offer him sex, and it's doubtful that he took her up on the offer, but she would often, like I said, do that as a sign of gratitude for those who had helped her. Give the gift of Marilyn Monroe. Um, <coughs> yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't realize about the Strasburg thing and just how that, how the New York and the L.A., mixed i didn't mm-hmm. quite and and then where the movies were in between oh that, so. man okay thank you for clearing that part up all right but what she also got from lee strasberg was a deep okay. dive into his style of acting which we now today know as the method and as you may or may not know and this may give it was uh, This may give way to its own episode of euripides humanity someday but one of the primary tenets of the method is sense memory and here's a good definition I found online because I could spout about it and I'm biased. But sense memory is an acting technique whereby the actor recalls the physical sensations surrounding a personal emotional experience and uses those sensations to help trigger truthful emotional responses in their characters. I know exactly where you're heading, so I don't know what I'm going to say about this. <laughs> well, I don't I'm know. Kind of I mean, you know, you have the degrees in, in acting and in theater and psychology. Weird. That's weird. <laughs> it means that basically I know a little bit about Freud and a little bit about Shakespeare. That's about it. Um, I don't know, dude. Yeah. That, that's, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I, well, yeah. I mean... You and I have been in the theater game a long, 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 long time. And like, you know, I mean, while that definition sounds all fine and good, I mean, consider what this does to an actor with severe, unresolved psychological or emotional issues. Oh, the, the, the safety issue, the psychological safety of it. I've had multiple experiences in classes where, no, I remember. Oh, my gosh, I was in. I was in college in my third year Shakespeare class doing a Lady M monologue, the Ooh. out damn spot monologue. Yep, yep, and yep. I ended up on my knees down, like just shaking and I couldn't stop shaking. Oh, and shit. I just looked up at my teacher and I was like, cause he kind of pushed the math that he was a little old school. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at my teacher and he was like, scratch your butt, Steen. Scratch your butt. What? Scratch your butt. I know. But so I scratched my butt. It did get me out of the moment. 
but oh okay i confused, see he, he confused my little method mind for a minute because it's not that i was trying to be method but mm-hmm. i had learned it in two to three different schools that i went to right that it was kind of a deal the late 80s well a little yeah, bit yeah. you know mm-hmm. scorsese yeah. and 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 de niro were still god yeah you know yeah. in the late 80s mm-hmm. anyway anyway yeah I well i mean i have that whole episode on daniel day lewis and hamlet where he's on stage and quote unquote sees his father's ghost which he later was like Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I didn't really see him, but you know, it it still affected him to the point where he never again returned to the stage. Oh, <gasps> I didn't know that. Yep. Really? Yeah. See, Daniel Day. Some of the stories I've heard about him, him like him going off for the last Mo- in the Mohicans and eating the, and uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio eating the live bear liver for uh, what was it? <laughs> uh, the the Revenant. Revenant, the Revenant. Thank you. Anyway, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I have one quick story. One quick story. I know this is long. <laughs> Please go for but, it. No, no. So, so <laughs> we were doing a production called Little Boy, the Epic Rock Fable. I don't know if I'm supposed to not say that, but I did. <laughs> anyway, it was in the late '90s. We were up having a big uh, musical, bring the people together number. And oh, yeah. I was one of the big, it was a very, do you hear the people sing of Lynn? And they wanted to have this big pole with a flag on it. And we're still in rehearsals and we're dance rehearsals. So the dance, uh, the dance captain came up to me and handed me this big, like literally six foot long pipe. Okay. It's a like big ass pipe. I'm 28 and I'm a big girl, but, and then she <laughs> tied a, a, a theater curtain, one of the big ass, oh, funnies, like, oh, theater God. and she uh, wanted me in time to the music to lift <laughs> and, and play that, like, you hear the people sing, and I literally was so frustrated one time that I, I stopped and I dropped it both, and I picked up a wood dowel and some muslin. <laughs> wood plus muslim plus acting there you uh-huh. go there's your weight <laughs> oh my god we don't have no, to be no so. you have to feel it yeah feel it. dude anyway yeah oh. method nah i think that it teaches us less lessons and where we need to come down on which sides of them i don't know well i i i i I just worry about the amount of emotional energy that it takes a toll on a person you know i mean and 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 i i don't disparage anybody for how they choose to do their acting style as long as it's not interfering with anybody else it's like hey i gotta go off and do some meditation for 15 minutes before i come out don't bother me or it's gonna break my whole chi you go all right i'm not gonna fuck with you then you know but if somebody comes out and says you must only refer to me as my character name on and off stage (laughs) because otherwise i can't (laughs) no no fuck off sorry that's what i say but for marilyn this was like she somebody i read about they said it was scary 
how much she hung on every word that Lee Strasberg said and fully committed to that method and demanded reality out of herself and truth for the rest of her career. That makes me sad and exhausted for yeah. her. Yeah. There's no wonder okay. no wonder she wanted to escape, you know? Yeah. Now, I mean, this inevitably led to some of the best acting performances of Marilyn's career, but yeah. also some of the worst on-set behavior that has ever been witnessed. Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. All right. So, back to okay. Fox acquiring Bus Stop. Okay. Okay. So here's this woman who has been honing herself for a year in this intense acting method. Now she's got a really juicy part that she can show. She's not just the dumb sex pot blonde, even though that character was kind of that, it still had a lot more depth. Mm -hmm. She saw this as her chance to apply the method. So she flew out to Phoenix for filming and Miller, he's still kind of married. He flies out to Reno, where his soon-to-be ex-wife lives, so he could finalize their divorce. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. By now, Miller and Monroe had launched into a full-on romantic relationship, despite some misgivings. While Marilyn was absolutely sexually satisfying to Miller, uh, duh, uh, uh-huh. he was also troubled by her sexual past and had an incredibly difficult time reconciling that with the personality he'd already made public to the world. So, you know, here's this guy who had this stand-up family, you know, I wrote death of a salesman about the, the strife of the common man fighting for his family. And now he's dating Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh-huh. Plus, he knew some things about her onset behavior and was somewhat appalled by her lack of professionalism. You know, the constant, like, I can't be on time. I take too long in my trailer getting ready. Um, you know, there are some, uh, uh, you know, chatter about, oh, she's taking a lot of alcohol and pills at times. Okay. Yeah. Marilyn took all this into account and felt incredible shame to be with Miller but also a compelling need to be with Miller as he did for her. So they're both like, I have big problems with you, but I really want to be with you. (laughs) Wait a sec. (laughs) Okay. All right. We can go on. Thanks. So despite their grievances, they chose to focus mainly on the parts of their partners that attracted them and didn't really address too much of their doubts in each other. Forge ahead. Carpe diem! Because <laughs> this is going to go great. This is going to go great. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. A vodka, a vodka, a vodka, a vodka. Well, my friends and listeners, I have to put a pin in this story for now, as we have a lot more to cover, and it only gets much, much worse from here. You know, I've never quite told a story like this on this program, but... I'm sure many of you know how things turned out for Marilyn. Plus, I even have gotten to their marriage yet. But I hope you'll forgive me and show up back here in a couple weeks when we get to hear the rest of this absolutely compelling story. So, signing off for this episode of Euripides Humanities, this is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, promising to get you the end of this story two weeks from today, and I will see you at intermission. <laughs>